Oh, you're all excited, Frank. <laughs> you uh, you paid your money. You got your rifle together. Everything's dialed in. You're going to this precision rifle course, man. You've been waiting for this for a long time, you know. Like the Utah boys, they waited over a year. Yes, right? yeah. They come up, and it rains like hell, man. And, you know, you're at this place where there's no cover, and your stuff's getting wet. You're living in a rain suit, shooting, trying to concentrate. You don't have right in the rain paper. Everything's going wrong. But we don't have that problem, Frank. No, we don't. Because in Alaska, we have a fully covered line. Yeah. And when it's a torrential downpour in Alaska, we shoot and we avoid the raindrops, Frank. And, and, we, and we miss all the raindrops. <laughs> and we miss all the raindrops. It's, it's amazing how the bullets go to the target through yep. the rain, yep. as heavy as the rain is, yep. with the same dope. Yeah. That's kind of funny that way. Intro. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers Hard. Staff Sergeant Taylor. We're in the house. We just finished up our block of classes. Feeling a little rough. Um, you know, it's been a heavy week. We had the Davis boys as our third course, and they tore, they burnt the place down. On the first night. They were mellow on the second. Yeah. But the first night when they came in, it was, it was, it was shots all around. Um, that was pretty rough first day. Yeah. Second day, they stepped up. They shot really well. Um, great groups, uh, getting them off, good shits on target. All right, let's go back to PR1. Yeah. Uh, we had Utah, we had Washington represented, um, six guys flew in, had, you know, had challenges getting into the airport, through the airport, whatnot, but once they were on, feet on the ground, everybody showed up at the lodge on Friday, we had a freaking blast. Man. Yeah. Really good time, really good time with everybody. Um, uh, David and his crew, uh, Stephen Kelly, David Alex, and, and those guys, just, just fantastic shooters, um, really good time. And then the Washington crew, uh, yeah, Victor and Jason, were, were excellent as well, um, you know, coming up. And then the typical Alaska guys, uh, all, all great people up here, uh, was, was really good. Um, we're going to go over, I got to fly in a biplane. Yeah, you did. Dude. Yeah, uh, Wednesday. Wednesday uh, after PR first PR two, we took the day off, and uh, James Drayton and Jeff Perrin, who's also a student of ours, Jeff flies a bi uh, biplane, so he took Frank up for about an hour in the morning, and uh, nineteen forty three dive bombing or what? Yeah, I mean, no, we didn't do too crazy. Um, nineteen forty three Stearman, Boeing Stearman with the navy paint design. Um, what a what a breeze of an aircraft to fly in! It was it was a blast. Open cockpit, the whole thing. Uh, we went up. I, he asked me where where do you want to go i just pointed him towards denali i said take me to mount mckinley man and and so we kind of went that way uh we circled back around just before right at uh what is that ruth glacier yep and and so that got to see a moose and a calf crossing a lake that was cool we did a little i the, the intercom was out on my side i can hear some of it but we couldn't communicate hand signals like when i saw the moose and the calf crossing I gave him hand signals, and Jeff was able to come down. We circled around. I had GoPros running in some stuff, but um, we couldn't communicate. Otherwise, uh, you're telling me Jeff can do stunts. I would have had him do some things. He used to be a stunt teacher, I think. Yeah, but I wouldn't have done it without being able to talk to him. Right. And, and just hand him signals. Him to prep you, when to, when to yeah, tighten up. Yeah, when to get know. ready and all yeah. that stuff. So I didn't have that luxury to be able to speak to him. So we, we just did some pretty level mellow flying. We did come back around by the range. And David from Bowman, um, the Fairbanks David, was there. He was finishing up before he was heading north. He was in PR 1 and 2. And um, he, he, he saw us at the range, and we came around and did a quick little buzz as, as much as we could at, you know, over the top of the range. Nobody was shooting or anything like that, so we just kind of circled around. Um, but a great flight, and I appreciate Jeff and James setting it up and doing that. That was, that was a fantastic uh, Wednesday for me. Cool. Uh, for, so right. PR 1. We had lots of rain, so we got guys wearing rain jackets. Yeah. And we got inconsistent groups. You know, we get them some reps right up front, get a good uh, uh, zero the shooter, zero the rifle, and we got guys shooting on the outside of their jacket. That can be a problem, Frank. Yep. Um, when you think about the fact that a thousandth of an inch gives you a 1.78 inches at, a, at 100 yards, and you now you're wearing a slick rain jacket or just a, a light jacket, you got the rifle butt. You're pulling back with 15 pounds of pressure. You got the rifle butt sliding around just a little bit, Frank. How much does it take? A five, ten thousandths. Right. We'll right. move you uh, well, and a we half saw, an inch. Um, it was uh, Alex, the fireman, I believe. He had that kind of curved group as it was sliding. It was a touching group, but it was strung on a, on a kind of an angle. 
and it came off of his jacket. So I made him zip it down a little bit, put his uh, butt of his rifle inside his jacket, and everything tightened right up. This is like a Mark Pet Peeve, but it has merit to it, and you can see the results of you know doing it, not doing it. Like I never pay a whole lot of attention to my jackets and coats like that. But up here, that's a big thing because they're always on and off and using different layers of uh, warmth, you know, different jackets, different layers because it's Alaska, right? And so Mark always, regardless, puts the, the rifle inside to eliminate the problems with the layers of clothing that's being wear, worn. And um, it matters, man. We've seen it. Well, we, it's, it's a, it, with me, it's a consistency thing. And one thing's consistent. I'm always wearing a T-shirt. Whether yep. it's summertime or, or wintertime, I've always got a T-shirt on. So, it, so I, I put the rifle butt right against my T-shirt, even tucked it inside my jacket, and I always have the same pocket for my rifle butt. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, um, that was a, an eye-opener. Uh, one thing I want to mention, too, because Mark was talking about, we had uh, Victor came up, and textbook student uh, came up, needed very, he's an online training member, uh, Sniper's Hide member, seen all this. He's on Little Pod on the hide and everything. The guy came in and had studied. He, he watched the videos. He, he understood, and his fundamentals were spot on. And every time Mark would go by him and, and say, dude, it, it's, it's, I can't find anything to look at or say. You just, you're that good. Yep. And he shot 308 in PR1, and he was using a Terminus switch, which switch caliber. He has a Terminus Zeus. Uh, 308 in PR1, and he switched to a 6GT. For PR2. So that made a whole lot of sense that, you know, he was swinging the heavy bat. He was learning his recoil management. He was understanding that recoil pulse of the, the rifle with the 308 barrel on it. And then when he went to the 6GT, none of that stuff was present, but he was still executing all these fundamentals without compromising. I mean, I, you know, helping out David and crew, and these guys are competitors, um, the Utah contingent. They're competitors. Uh, we were on the um, roof simulator with David, and him and I were, were going over some positions and techniques and doing some stuff, bringing our knee up there. <coughs> we're kind of torquing our body sideways, bringing our knee up to put a, a, as support for our firing elbow. And on this particular roof simulator, it doesn't have steps or grips, so you slide down. But it would this way allowed us to stay stuck to the roof simulator but then, you know, you, you, you wanted that, that elbow support, and this worked well. Well, he didn't pick up a round. Dude, he did a full face squeeze and flinch closing his eyes because he's a competitor. He's used to going fast. He's got those breaks, and, you know, those, those three- and four-port breaks, they're, they're creating some fundamental issues for people because they're not just so used to that recoil. And it's kind of like getting them in and dry-firing them and, and knocking some of that out. Then you got to inoculate the shooter from the flinch they developed because they're using, um, you know, the, these these games uh, scenarios, moving fast, trying to get it done, and then as soon as the the reticle touches the target where they want it, they're just snatching the trigger and going for break. You know, um, we we were playing with the Trigger Tech two stage trigger. Steve had it, uh, Steve in there um, with with them Ting. And he had the Trigger Tech 2 stage. Uh, we had to adjust it up on the first stage. But once we got it adjusted up, oh, what a sweet two-stage trigger it was. Um, out of the box, oh, people weren't really like, eh, wow, we waited for this. But it has a really good and easy adjustment for that for that first stage. And we did that, and, and bam, it crisped up really nice and ended up being a, a, an excellent trigger. Speaking of triggers, we came back to the shop today. We're in the shop right now, Wiggy's. And uh, one of my buddies, and also a shooter, got in a rifle from Mile High. Yep. And tell us about that rifle, Frank. It, it, it had was a Geisley trigger, though. Yeah, it was an MPA. Uh, two, uh, um, it was a Valkyrie, a bolt-action Valkyrie that they had, but it had a Geisley two-stage. That's the first time I'd seen a Geisley yeah, trigger in a, a bolt-action rifle. Two-stage trigger. Um, it was nice. I, I would have tweaked on it a little bit, but Mark liked it because the second stage doesn't have that that creep, you know, that... that After the break. The, right, the, the pull-through. That an AI does. You know, with an AI, it's press, break, and freeze because there is extra movement behind it where uh, the Geisley didn't. Um, once, you, once you took up that first stage and you hit the wall and then you broke the second, it was press, break, and freeze. The, right, the trigger did not move anymore. It just froze in place, which is, you know, that's what you want from these aftermarket two-stage triggers. 
is that you can get them crisp and sharp. They, they the first stage lets you know it's there, allows you to marry up to the trigger, gives you that nice that nice 90 degree trigger finger because you're taking up that slack to build the 90, and then on that second stage it's just a nice crisp break, and then there's that no over travel. So um, the hey, guys, guys was on nice. the, they're on the field now. Yeah, they're you know? on the radar, man. It was yep, a nice yep. trigger. Uh, like I said, did the trigger tech two stage this week, um, and then Mark got to play with a Geisley. Uh, good stuff. We got some data points this uh, PR two, Frank. Um, um, which part? We well, got a bunch. Uh, things things of note. We saw our first tracked Toric. Yes, tracked Toric. Who was that? Uh, it's just that the Victor. OEM. Yeah, Victor, Victor had that. Um, it's it, the track scopes are out there. I think they advertise like some of their lenses are shot glass. I mean, they're not all shot, but if they are, they're the Chinese shot because shot it does have a glass factory in China. Um, but it's a nice scope, um, very similar to the SIG, very similar to the Athlon, <coughs> but a little bit kind of cleaner design to it. What's it run? Um, I think it's in the $1,500 range. I don't think it's So that's super, a good mid-range. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't think it's super Not exactly expensive. budget, but not exactly. Right, uh, um, but it tracked well, didn't it? It tracked 100. 100%. Yeah. Yep, so we, we 12 target tested our scope. Oh, talk about that. What did we see? We, we sat down to, tall tar, uh, to scope test, and we're getting 102.7, 102.7. The, so, guy, the guy who I had set it up for us, he was helping us out, and he'll listen to this podcast, but we're not going to say his name again because we fixed his bubble last time. Mm-hmm, anyway, but, anyway, I had him set it up uh, for us to have it ready when we got there on day two because, uh, oh no, day one, PR two. Yeah, we were in the was. classroom. Um, just to get us, get us rolling. Well- his Vectronics was off. was three yards off. Right, three yards off from Mar- yours because you use Vectronics too. Mine's a Terrapin one, right? Yeah, the, the old Terrapin. His was a Terrapin X. No, his is the um, fifteen PLRF fifteen. Okay, yeah. Okay, got and it. he's got the big old one. They're like thirty eight hundred dollars now if you find them, but they used to be like six seven grand. But it's a Terrapin or not a Terrapin? It's a, it's a PLRF fifteen, and. It was three yards off, and it was throwing all of our numbers. They gave off. us one hundred two point seven for the first three scopes. Yep, and we thought, and they were all tangent uh, thetas. Tangent thetas, and so we thought, wow, this is odd three. And then when, and then when he put a collis up there, and it went to one hundred three, I said, stop, there's a problem here, because <laughs> you know I'm collis yeah. my favorite scope. And, and I said, stop, there's a problem here. So I got my terrapin out, and we we found out now that we were nine feet over 300 feet yeah. we moved everything up well it just goes to show you have to yeah, check you have to check yeah that's yeah. what that's the that's the that's the lesson to and take away. and here's another point if you're going to do consistency uh if you're going to do data points you've got to be consistent so that means the same person with the same eye relief with the same equipment like right my, my your terrapin. terrapin yeah you can't be bouncing around Mark and changes his terrapin to feet and then we run it now now don't get us wrong we staked we we ended up staking out where we're going to put everything, so we drove stakes in the ground yeah. so we can repeat. Um, but Mark changes his terrapin to feet, and then we run it to 300 feet. So we go we to 299, then 300, then 301, and then back into three, 300 to get it right. Right. And then we put a mark on the on the uh, post up there, so now we know exactly where it is. And we drove a stake out there, so now we know exactly where it is. So every time we do this from now on, it's going to be automatic. But I mean, it's it's yeah. it's it's really it, it's it's one of those things where. Everything looks great because it's only three yards, and you, and you can't see it visually. And but then, it showed up in the scopes as three percent. Yeah, it showed is, up in the which scope. Is pretty much what it was at three percent. And honestly, if we talk about somebody's equipment, because I'm going to bring up one other thing. But if we talk about, it's a learning lesson. It's not to dog a person because I would have bought the Vectronics PLRF 15 too. I mean, it's a great piece of kit. It's something that I would have looked at and said, yes, I want to buy that thing. And I would have never thought to check a Vectronics. For yard lines, but right. you have to check your equipment, man. It just goes to show you, you, you know, here's a, a $3,800 uh, laser and, and three yards. If you know, it's no big deal. Um, but you have to know. And, and that's kind of what we're going um, as far as that goes. Uh, one thing, so I want to bring up the, uh, we'll go through the scopes and then we'll bring up what you had. Just knock well, out some of the scopes. Uh, I think we had one failure. We had a 91%. Yeah, it was a PST. That was in, um, what you call it, class. Yeah. That was the yeah. uh, that was uh, Joe's PST. We had one PST. Now, we think, we think it's because he had it on a flat rail. And he only had 9.4 mils of available adjustment. So... 
when we tested it and we tested it to nine mils, we tested it to five mils and, and we, and we double checked it. And my thinking is because it didn't, it wasn't on a 20 MOA base that he didn't have, he wasn't end. in the center of his right. He's at the end of the adjustment and he was running into some era where I think if we put it in the middle, it would work better. I didn't, I didn't take, I didn't keep the number. Because I didn't, I didn't keep them. Yeah, it but I kept it in my head. But I didn't keep. I didn't write it down because of that, and because I didn't want to give that a bad, you know, a bad viewing. Because we weren't. It wasn't even. I mean, he wasn't in the middle of his scope. So. Right, right. Yeah. And he was on the edges. Yeah. And so we kind of saw that where, hey, you know, scope setup and rifle setup uh, was was a key element. I mean, we did a lot of tweaking of people's setup this week. You know, um, a lot of classes uh, that we went in, we were adjusting, moving scopes around, playing with heights. Um, you know, just we had the uh, one shooter, Jason. Um, we 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 played. He was he, he was when he first showed up for the fundamental eval. He was as low as he can get. He was laying on top of his rifle, and he had his scope set up, sort of forward. It was it was almost hanging over half of the front pick rail because it pushed the scope out that forward by the position he was using. And then, of course, Mark and I are going to sit him up on the bipod a little bit and create a workspace. That created a comfort issue for him. He was becoming uncomfortable. And we had to then take his scope off and play with comfort. Now, I'm going to come back to Jason in a minute, but I want to go to um, Doug and some of the guys at Davis because when we took their scopes off, the, the Davis guys are are what would be considered newer shooters, even though they're experienced shooters, but they're not Finnegan's. You know what I mean? We see a lot of people that come to class that want to know every aspect of this. They want to know about this, that, the other thing from A to Z. Davis guys want to shoot animals. They want to go out and have fun, and they have their rifles, and a lot of them have hunting rifles. Well, what we did when we made them take their scopes off, the ones that did, we got them behind their rifles and made them reset up the positions of the stock and the rifle to where they were comfortable behind the rifle sitting there on the bipod with no scope on it. I then set up like Doug was a great example. Doug, you mean Chief. Yeah, Chief. If if the Indians had Chief back in the 1800s, Frank, we'd all be speaking. I don't really Cher- think we'd he's be technically spe- an English. No, he said he, he said he was named. Yeah, but part we, of it. We'd all be speaking Cherokee right yeah. now They'd because laugh- he was an absolute hammer. Yeah, man. they laugh at us because we call him Chief. Yeah, but anyway, um, he he was shooting not up like last year. He shot really well. Yeah, and he was shooting real. You know, and this year he, he at the first day there was something going on. And what he told me when I took the scope off that he was actually seeing a lot of shadowing. So something in his position moved, something, but he didn't say it up front, so we don't know. So when we took his scope off, we then, I adjusted it to him. I adjusted it two ways. I adjusted it in the rings, and he had weaver rings, but then I loosened the rings and moved the scope within him, and I, I tweaked his position. He went to groups. He went from like an inch and a half group with, I mean, he's shooting a, excuse me, a 30 378. 378, Weatherby. And he was shooting about an inch, inch and a half, which heavy recoil gun. Kill everything. Right, bouncing around. And the guy's a hammer. He hits on the first round. He doesn't need a second or third, you know. But then his groups went to like half minute. And he tightened up because it's not only a parallax issue, it's an eye relief issue. And we got him in a much more comfortable place. I did this with another student, and I don't remember who it was. And they were having, it might have even been Craig. Craig. I, I, I took a picture of him. I said, Craig, I'm going to take a photo of you from behind. And he had his neck craned back. I said, when we take the scopes off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to change this. And, yeah. you, and you did. You worked with him. And then what I also did with Craig <clears throat> is I loosened his cheek piece because he has attack A1, right? Is yep. it, doesn't yep. Craig yep. Uh, shoot that? Um, I loosened his cheek and I played with the cheek ever so slightly to get his head in a better position. Now, going back to Jason, Jason, same thing. He needed a, a, a lot of rifle setup adjustment to find a comfortable spot. He had his arm falling asleep just moving at the one time. And then we had to move some cheek stuff and we had to do some different things. So his one position of laying on top of the rifle 
Uh, and it came from, you know, he had uh, gone to class and they said get as low as possible. So he had his bipod down at the lowest possible setting. And, you know, Mark Mark doesn't, you know, we all said to him, listen, you got to bring it up. But Mark's on him. You got to raise it. You got to raise it. And, and when he did that, there was a lot of discomfort. That meant I have to come in now and I'm playing with scopes. I'm playing with cheeks. I'm looking at that. Then he ended up flipping his MPA butt plate over because then that raises it. So there's no adjustability on the MPA butt plate to go up and down unless you take it off and flip it. And then it gave him about a half inch up, which just puts it in line with his bolt. So that was another plus that we were able to do because we did see a lot, especially in the raincoats, guys that didn't have adjustable butt plates, the rifle sliding under yep. their arm on recoil, which raises the nose and creates dope issues. So this is one of the things we were seeing with students where the rifle was sliding down and in on the jacket to go under their body instead of against the shoulder pocket. And that's what raising the back of the rifle does in the prone, is it marries that contact in line with recoil, and it won't push the rifle down and under. Think about your position. And so we ended up moving a lot of people without the adjustable butt plates to bringing their uh, butt stock inside their jacket. Yeah, that get, was get them up on their elbows. Right, that was our fix for that. Yep. But now I want to go back to this other because I want to talk this level thing again. So fundamental eval, you got Mark and I on either side of you. And I go, and, and now understand, we're only shooting five shots. So we're looking at different things at different times. You know, I, I look at how you get behind the rifle. I look at your heels. I'm looking, I mean, we have a 20-point checklist we're looking at. And we have to look at these five or 20 things, not all of them, but some of them across five shots. And the biggest thing I've seen doing the fundamental eval is you guys are inconsistent. You're doing something different every single shot. So much so that I redid my fundamental eval sheets. When I get home, I'll have them. I added multi to a lot of different things like trigger press and different, you know, uh, position of the trigger finger on the shoe. That's the big one. Right. They they move it around. It's pad, joint, tip, pad, joint, tip, and it slides back and forth at any given time, side of the shoe, over the shoe, in front of the shoe, bottom of the shoe, top of the shoe. You know, we're seeing people all over this trigger shoe when they're trying to put together a five-shot group. So you see one thing, you don't see it again, you see it another way, and, and that comes up. So now I do this eval, and I can hear Jason, you know, behind me, and he's talking uh, with Victor, and they're like, I wrote he was canted on his scope. And he's like, no way, no way, no way. I got a bubble level. And I said, well, I don't know anything about your level, guy. I said, I just saw whatever I saw, your scope was canted. And then it kind of got boiled down to... um. You know, maybe the first shot he was canted, but then he knew he paid attention to like the third to the fifth or the second to the fifth. He said, nope, I watched my level. I was on level every time. And I can't tell you what number shot I saw canted. Okay, but now let's go to doping out. Right. Doping out, what was he? He's right all the he's time. He's right all the time. And Mark said something to him, and he's like, you're, he's like, you got to go left. You gotta I said, go. when we go back to zero... Or when we get your scope off of your rifle, we're going to find that it's got a right can. We put it on the uh, scope testing base, and what happened? No, that I found it. Yeah. This was before then. Okay. Uh, I found a couple of them on the testing yeah, base, too. We did. We found yeah. four. Yeah. Four scopes that were mounted in the um, in their scope. Now, we can't see what you see. We can, and, and, you know, we had storms. We had wind. We had rain. We had things going on. And, and he's shooting a six millimeter. And I'm just thinking... We're, get, we're seeing some uncharacteristically stronger winds because of the weather. And it's six millimeters just getting blown. You know, on my range back in, in Colorado, when I break out my six millimeter Creedmoor, I notice I have a heck of a lot more drift out at the distances than the 6.5 Creed. Heavier bullets and different things. And my speeds, my speeds and my 6.5 Creeds are in the 28.50 zone. You know, the six millimeters are in the 29, but the bullet weight. So if I shoot out, the 6.5 Creeds do better in the wind than the 6 millimeters once I get out to the farther distance. So in my mind, I'm just going, ah, Jason, but there is some wind. Mark's bringing me to the left. Mark's bringing me to the left because I'm hitting right. 
And I said, well, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a case of the wind. Well, then I forgot the reasoning. He missed the small target, I think, what happened. He was missing that flag. That yeah, yeah. Um, At 500 yards, we had a little 66% IPSC, which had like a two-inch indicator flag at the head. And a lot of us were hitting it. And then with the clay pigeons, he wasn't hitting the clay pigeons at 1,000 yards. And he said, Frank, will you get on my, my scope or my rifle? And so as soon as I did, I saw a can't because I'm ignoring his level. His level was set to the can't. Yep. And so, again, it probably just happened when he tightened the scope up. It probably bit a little bit, pulled over. And it was, it was about 1 to 1.5% of a degree or a degree uh, to the right. And that was calling him to be right. That's right. That's right. Like Mark said, Mark found at least four scopes during the scope tracking test that had gross can't. That had gross can't in it that we fixed right there on the spot. Okay. Now I get in and I saw the can't from the outside. So let's think about this now. A level will absolutely lie to you if you let it. And it may not be your doing or your fault. They can slip, they can move. There's a lot of things that can happen because they're tube mounted. We're not really torquing them to like mega degrees. We're bouncing our rifles around. We're hitting against barricades. We're doing all kinds of stuff. And these are shitty ass $6, barely accurate levels. I mean, I'm watching uh, some of the guys during the PR2 and they had the send it levels with the lights. Yeah. Every one of them were canted when they were on the stuff. Yep. They got the send it levels and they're all shooting canted. But they're shooting 400, 600 yards, doesn't show up on steel as much. When we shoot out far and we're shooting a clay pigeon at 1,015 yards, that matters because now your wind dope is wrong. And I'm telling you right now, a level is not fixing your problem. We keep harping this on this and we keep harping on it. A level is not fixing your problem. 11 is just pointing it out or can be a contributor to it. Yeah. What fixes the problem is the bipod, getting over the top of the rifle and looking at it and understanding what level feels and looks like in the shooter's shoulder pocket. If all you're doing is looking at something and pulling the rifle back over, you're never building that personal database to understand what straight is. These people who sell a level to you are lying to you to get your money. Okay, It's, it's a... Training aid, not a shooting tool. Okay. And they're not, they're, they're telling you it's a tool, but it's a shooting aid. Okay. It's a training aid. It's not a shooting tool. It's a training aid. Stop using your fucking levels like this. Stop playing that game that you think your level is smarter than the levels in my head because clearly, twice now in two blocks of classes, I've proved it's not. I proved the level can absolutely lie to you and if you if it doesn't take much for it to slip and it ha- it does not have to be anybody's fault what's the best level vestibular vestibular, vestibular. <laughs> the one the four in my friggin head <laughs> those are the best levels and because i've taught myself this i've i've looked at it i want to under what do you say what are you telling people when you put it on and you see the cant when you're on the tool it's not cutting through the base yes i look at the same thing you do what mark is looking at and this is what i'm looking at I want that do heavy duplex line when I follow it down. Is it cutting through my base? Or square? through your bore? Through your bore. bore yeah. Right. But you, we look at the back. Yeah. We're kind of like superimposing that glow of the reticle down the back of the rifle. And I'm looking at it in relationship to that squared off base behind me. And I do the same thing. I look down at it and see how it relationships to where it's mounted. And, and so I'm coming down the level. And I'm making sure it's cutting through the rifle and it's straight and that it's not cutting through at an angle. Mark found four scopes. And I'm, I'm almost positive every one of them had a level on it. Because, uh, guys, a lot of the Vortex guys put yep, their Vortex yep, level yep. on there. Because Vortex gives you a level. Um, or you can get one for 30 bucks. Now, if you can justify your can't to me, if you say, my rifle fits in my shoulder pocket like this, and then... I'm straight. You know, yeah, and then I'm straight. If you got a justifiable can't in your scope, boom. I'm signed up, but but if you can't if you don't tell me that and you just go oh really then then we got a problem right yeah that's why you're shooting and, and, right 
Guys, you shooting left? It's nobody's fault sometimes that you when you tighten your scope, it can have a tendency to bite and pull the scope tube over. And if your rings are not, you know, balanced out on each side, it can it can throw a little mini cant in there. And that's a lot of times what happens is that the tube bites and then it, it pulls it over. Okay. Weaponized math. This was the first class that we used an actual handout sheet uh, for them to track it on. Yep. And, and I think it worked really well. Weaponized math. It, it, I, I said to Mark, um, driving back, uh, might have been yesterday. Uh, it might have been, um, you know, the day before or whatever, a couple of days before. I've never seen so many people hit the line on steel that aren't really um, practice experience. They're not, not experienced. Right, yet. that aren't experienced and that have no clue of data. So we created the worksheet and we spelled it out how to do it. We have the tri dope um, side of it because there can be variations. And we, again, weaponized math doesn't control shooter error and shooters induce error. And the plate size can induce error, especially when they get shot up. If you're like, if you're shooter 12, 13, 14, the plates are pretty beat up. If we're off two tenths on the height, you know, how close to the line you are in, in, in our spot. And that's we, going to show trouble downrange. It'll have trouble downrange. Yeah. So we have a tri-dope and then we have your actual. Well, it's super, super simple. The worksheet is now allowing the people to do, see it, to visualize it, and then they can see the patterns that appear. They can then understand their dope. Th this weaponized math has really eliminated ballistic computers for what we're doing. We, we took 13 students downrange in two hours from 300 to 1,000. Yeah. All first-round hits pretty and then much we moved on, on the line. We didn't let them keep pounding it. We got If you got a first-round hit, it was like, write it down. You know, I'm not going to give you a chance to blow it now. Yeah. Write it down and do your multiplication. Be ready for the next yard line. We were just confirming data. They were repeat. Yeah. And, the, and again, these guys aren't ones that want to shoot, you know, we're going to shoot eight rounds at, at the target to make sure it's good and get a group. You know, they're hunter more based. So, and a lot of their rifles are hunting rifles, so we're not letting them shoot more than three rounds anyway. Thin barrels. But Right. It, so if they can whack it in the first round, and that data is good to do that, they're going to hit anything out here, especially in the moose and caribou, you know, which is what they're looking at. A um, couple sheep guys, uh, you know, but they generally shoot the sheep a lot closer. Yep. And so... Uh, but it was on the line, on the line, on the line. Even the eights and nines. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the thousand too. So. And, and so that's, to me, the fact that Mark figured out how to dope gravity, the fact that all bullets drop at the same rate of speed, that gravity is our one constant, and we're not trying to manage a ton of variables. We're not trying to manage, you know, the eight to ten variables in a ballistic computer. We're managing one using simple multiplication, Right. You got your 300-yard data on the line. Okay, it's uh, 1.0 mils to 300 yards. You're on the line. Times 175, put 1.8 on the gun. You know what I mean? That's your 400-yard dope. It, it's, it's that simple. You know, then you take your 1.8, and you're going to multiply it by 1.45. Okay, put your 2.6 on the gun. You know, then you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. I ended up doing my Alaska dope, and I did the weaponized math for that. I doped out the... The data's so different for me. But you're starting to recognize it. Yeah, now I, I see you're, it. And now you're, now you, no, you're starting to, you're gathering enough data, but you've been here enough times I'm now. memorizing yeah, my yeah, numbers. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, and I switched calibers a bunch, so I hadn't. But it, it's, it's a big difference, man. It, it's, it's like once I start, it's, I was like freaked out the first day. I'm like, dude, I got 8.7 mils with my AT at 1,000 yards. 8.7? And I go, that's normal, dude. And I'm like... Work. Seven four seven two, maybe a bad you know a Tika might be seven eight on my range, and and you know I'm at eight seven with a twenty four inch six five Creed shooting you know out of my AT with a suppressor on it, and I got eight seven. We had heavy air, man. Yeah, oh, yeah dude, heavy air, man, is crazy. And so I don't have them memorized like I do my home range, but now I'm building databases. I use weaponized math. I'm building data cards. I'm putting it together. Then what did I do? I got back to the room. I went upstairs at the bar, getting ready for dinner. I did my Kestrel. I broke out my Kestrel, which is attached to my tripod, which travels with me. So I got my AB Kestrel. I went in there. 
I just put 2750 in and the BC and then I tweaked it till it matched here and I wrote it as AIAT Alaska range and now I have my Alaska dope in my Kestrel and I'm ready to go but it it, it it works but I don't need it because I got the weaponized math and I can memorize the you know the eight ranges that I need to worry about or the nine ranges that I'm going to worry about up here I mean I know I need three six to a uh uh, what do you call it? A 600. 600. I got the. Actually, when it warmed up, I was 8584 at 1000. You know, so I can memorize these things and know where I'm going. And then the close ranges are pretty close. Instead of being 0.8, I'm 1.0. Instead of being, you know, I, I'm still 1.8. 8. 1.8 is pretty much 400 everywhere yeah. because it, the air is not working on you as much and it's pretty consistent there. <coughs> you know, I'm usually like 2.4 or something at. um at uh, uh, 500, and so I'm two six. So that's not a big difference. But the farther out I go, the farther that varies. And um, you know, I'm using this worksheet. This worksheet is simple. It's effective. It's a no-brainer. You don't have to manage bullet weights, BCs, sight offsets, all that. Shoot the target. Get your hit on the line. Do the put math. that number in on the math. Go to the next one, and you're done. It's yeah. that easy. Uh, there's a lot of value to learning your data. Because if you learn your data at your home range, you'll see how it trends when you move away from your home range. And you'll be trending similar just with less or more data. No? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you add 0.8, yeah, then, that's you, then you're adding 1.0. Right. Then you're adding 1.1. Then you're adding 1.3, you know, as you, as you move out. So it, it's always going to be that because that's, your, that's, the, uh, that's the gravity working on it. In, in Colorado, from like 400 to, you know, almost 900, all I have to do with a 6.5 Creed is add 0 0.8, 0 0.8, 0 0.8 every 100 yards. Yep. If I got a 308, I add 1 mil, 1 mil, 1 mil every 100 yards, and I know I have it. Here, that's not quite the same because the air is so much denser, and so it's a little bit off. So I can't just say 0 0.8, 0 0.8. It's like 1 mil, then 1.2, then 1.4, and, it, and it's, it's still linear but it's growing more often and sooner than it does at my range. And it's very predictable. Right, it is predictable. But when you, when you start seeing a student trend like this, okay, he goes from 0.8, he adds 0.9, and then he adds 1.0, and then he adds 0.8 again, then you know you got a problem. Right. You, you, missed, you messed up on that data because it should always trend one way and not skip back to the low side. We're, we're yeah. looking at trend lines, man, yeah. and yeah. we're looking at trend lines. And, and you know, like I said, I don't want to make this sound like, because everybody's hypersensitive right now, I don't want it to make like we're bagging on anybody. We're absolutely not. This is learning for everybody, right? We're just presenting these situations so we can all learn from it. It's not a plus or minus. It's what it is. And mistakes happen. I do. I didn't bring my fucking mag up here. So I had to borrow a mag from Mark, right? So I didn't have my AT mag because I walked out the door without it. Oh, I want to talk about that damn Schmidt and Bender. Every, how good did that friggin' Schmidt that I was shooting work in the Mirage and the bullshit and that scope? I, I didn't know what to expect because I'm shooting Exos, E-X-O-S, 3 to 21. It is a second focal plane, but my word, and it has the new turret with that BDC system and the turret's completely redesigned. So there, there's been some plus or minuses with the, with the turrets in the past, and this one is a completely different type of turret. So it has a lock on it with an indicator, and it's a slide lever instead of the pull-up, push-down. So I like that. That's a cool feature. I go over. I take the turret cap off, and I happen to forget the damn little um, Allen. There's a, like a one-millimeter Allen to move the BDC because uh, they screw into place. So I just had to leave them where they were. But it's a, it's a cool thing. You move them to your dope. Now you have indicators that are adjustable. Well, then I, I loosen the three screws. And I go to turn it back to zero when I'm doping it. And like the old other Schmitz, they still click. And I went, fuck, is this going to work or is it going to not work? So I'm like, it clicked, but does it work? This scope was money. And everybody who looked at it, like they're dealing with some pretty good mirage out here. And this thing burned through it. It was not there. And it was like, damn, this scope is working really well. It was sharp. It was consistent. And... Man, I mean, like, like from an LE standpoint, if your department's got a budget and you want a scope that's probably going to last you a long time, this second focal plane, Exos 3 to 21, it's, a, it's bordering on the ultra short in size, was a really good scope. 
Everybody who got behind it loved it. I enjoyed shooting with it. At one point in the open shoot with the first class, I was whacking the clay pigeons first round every time with this thing. Um, I, I had it lined up where the tick mark in the reticle was dead on the clay pigeon. All I had to do was move it over and it would hit. And um, I was busting them on guys when they were dancing around it. I would right. see a guy kind of dancing. I would go in and kill break it pigeon. on him. Yep, kill his pigeon. It's like, dude, you shot five shots and you didn't hit it. I'd blow his fucking pigeon up. And they didn't even know. Like, David thought he broke his pigeon. He's like, oh, I was struggling with my pigeon. And then I got it. And I'm like, no, you didn't. I did. Yep. You know, he didn't even have a clue that I shot it out from under him. I didn't really want to burst his bubble on it. But and that, you tracked 100% too. Yeah, it tracked yeah. 100%. Um, it, it was, I, I told Target tested it, which is one of the reasons why I brought it. And I'm going to do a video and a write-up on it. But the, the feedback I got from students, they loved it. So... Uh, I don't know the pricing, and I don't know what it is. I got to go look it up, but I know it's out there and available. But you're signed up. You're I'm, I'm in on it, man. Yeah. I might buy this scope. Um, I like it that much. Uh, I'm going to switch the reticle out because I had to mix it so I could see something. I, I had to look at uh, a different reticle, and, and so I told them, yeah, I want to see it, but give me this scope and, and that. And um, they, they did a little mix and match for me. But if if, if I, would, I would get one in a minute. It's that good of a scope. And the 21 Power... It's not that big deal to be on max power for a lot of what we're doing. Yes, it's not a front focal plane. It's not dynamic. But what a pretty picture in, in great controls on this scope. Um, you know, just, you know, definitely enjoyed it. So that, that's another plus from being out here this week was uh, gotten not only getting to play with it under these conditions, and these can be tough conditions because of the mirage and the water content, but also um, tall target testing it and letting students put their eyes behind it and getting their reaction to it. So that was cool. What else you got? I don't know, man. Um, it was a smooth but grueling week. It kind of was. It kind of was um, a, a little bit. I, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to change PR2 up quite a bit. We're going to do PR2 completely different. And Mark and I are, are debating right now which direction to go because we, we did something different with Davis. And we found really positive results around it. And so I'm not going to say too much, but we're, we're looking at changing up the PR2. And uh, one good suggestion is because we set up stations. Uh, Barry, uh, made a, Barry and Alex had a great idea, and I liked it. Uh, I think they're right. We set up stations. So there's like six stations with obstacles. Tank trap, barricade, you know, uh, positional then there was the uh, roof simulator and the bench and we just let everybody move back and forth testing and practicing where their suggestion was to put people in groups and only you're on the tank trap okay in more round robin ish rather than more open shooting so more structured is kind of what they looked at and in hindsight I I agree definitely we're going to do that we're going to structure it slightly different because I kind of I kind of demo all of it and then let them go. And instead, and I then need people to... people uh, trend, trend to the strong suit. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they're, they're, and, and they're not suit. getting... The, um, I, I need to fix that. So that's going to be done. I got some tweaks we're still going to do to the presentations. Uh, uh, we, I think we could be even more efficient. And then we're going to be managing this weaponized math in a different way. So I'm going to be eliminating some of the, uh, like the computer stuff and the exterior ballistics. Because, you know, it's one thing if you want to use a computer, I could do that with you after the fact. It's another thing to take up a slide presentations, a, a lot of excess sal- uh, slides with guys who don't want You got at least 20 minutes of slides in, on just computer. Right, alone. right. And that's too much. Yeah. Um, so the, the weaponized math, man, honestly, download it, check it, try it. It, 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 it fundamentally is changing how I'm looking at data. We're not trying to tear your phone out of your hand or your Kestrel out of your hand. We're just saying when you're here for the learning process, that's all, right, that's all later. Once you've got this all down, now you're going to matches or you're traveling, you're going to, to different places, you, by all means, use your computer. But for the learning process, the student phase, let's work it out with weaponized Let's talk about math. home range. Yeah, guys yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you're if you're a guy who's a comp guy, if you're a guy who travels for training or goes to uh, different locations to hunt or shoot, yeah, the computer is going to be your best tool to manage the changes in conditions. And you're going to true your computer to your active conditions then, and then the computer is going to adjust for you. Weaponized math doesn't do that without starting over. 
This is the starting point to get your dope. But Mark has been making a point of saying, especially to the Alaska crew that uses this very range we're shooting on as their home range, they should have that dope memorized. You know, and if you don't leave your home range very often, that should just be one very small changing chart. And it's only going to bounce a tenth here or there, except in the big swings of winter to summer. But if you look at, you know, June to July, it's a tenth. It's two tenths. And some of that's a bit of you, you know. But, I mean, if it's just two tenths, look how big your targets are. Look how big, much elevation fudge you have in it. You're not going to miss that target. I switched to the new prime. Yep. And it's a little bit faster. And it added two tenths or, or subtracted two tenths from right. my data all the way down the line. I, I doped the green the green AX in, in like eight rounds. You know, I just got a first round hit on the plate, moved on to the next plate. So uh, that yeah. prime works really good. It's, yeah, faster, new, it's faster than old prime. Yes, the new prime is excellent through Spark, through all that. Um, I know a lot of guys are buying the prime and doing the group buys on Sniper's Hide with it. But the new Prime is, is working really well, um, it, it, at least what we're seeing. We're not seeing a lot of negative. I shot it this week. Uh, Mark shot it. Um, we had students with it, uh, and it all worked out really well um, with the new Prime. Uh, big fan of that. Uh, th- so the recipe really only got better, not worse. Right. And so that's definitely a, a plug um, or you know a good thing for Jim there uh, to do that. But overall... I mean, thanks to James and Steve for all the help. Yeah, Steve um, Hate. Steve Hate, and, and he's he's a workhorse for us, uh, you know, unflinchingly. So, hey, Steve, we need you to do this. He's on it. I mean, mosquitoes were just as bad as ever, and you know, everybody comes up and they're complaining. It's like, yeah, man, it's mosquitoes. It's Alaska. What do we get? It's what we got. We're gonna do a mover class September. Oh yeah, let's talk about classes and what we got going on. We got, right. dude, we're going on a fucking road trip in ten days. I'm wore out right now. And and I got to go back to work here at Wiggy's, and you saw how busy it was today. Yeah. Had, hey, am I a good salesman or what? Yeah. Yes. Selling you know, am bags. I, was I a, a prick to anybody nope, today, Frank? No. Nope. Okay. So 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 when you bring but your no, bag no, back, and you know what? You know, I'm gonna even give you a plug, man, because you you had just sold the last bag the guy came in for. Guy came in yeah. at like noon, bought the very last bag off the shelf of an ultralight, blah blah blah, whatever. Mike Mark selling. A husband and wife came in and they wanted that bag. And, and, and Mark uh, said, I'm not going to sell you a, 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 you know, a 15-degree bag if you're going to be cold. Wait till I get it in. I just made a reorder, and the, the new ones will be coming in in about two weeks, and I'll call you. But I'm not going to sell you the bag you don't want or the bag that's not going to suit your purpose. And then um, come to find out you had an ultralight in the back, and then uh, for his wife, she just got the uh, the glacier. The rectangles. Yeah. They wanted the, the rectangles. Oh, the rectangle. Yeah. They ended yeah. up switching from a mummy to a rectangle. Anyway, beyond yeah. that, I, and, I was, we were back to work today, right. and I was I was hammered. But, Tina took good care of me while I was gone uh, in the store. But in 10 days, we've got – I'm flying down to, to Colorado. Frank's going to pick me up, and we're going to drive uh, in Frank's new – what? Oh, my Macan. I, I didn't is say it a Porsche yet. or a Porsche? A Porsche. It's Porsche. A Porsche. Oh, okay. right. But I, I don't like saying Porsche either. I, I like Porsche. I get it. We're going to fly to uh, Nebraska? Uh, no, we're going to drive to Nebraska. Drive. Yes, we're going to drive to Nebraska. And then Minnesota. And then we're going to drive to Minnesota. And Iowa. Then we're going to drive to Iowa, do two courses there. And then we're going to drive down to Tennessee and do a three-day. Yeah, so we'll be road so tripping. For five weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked it up with COVID deals, man, uh, a couple weeks ago. I actually got it before I went to the Sniper's Hide Cup. On Thursday, I bought it, uh, picked it up the following Thursday, and but I didn't say shit about it. But Mark's all excited because he gets to drive. Uh, it's not the Wiggy van. I get it. Yeah, I get I'm not going to be. You're not going to be in a creeper van, yeah. and we're going to move probably just about a mile or two an hour quicker. So we'll have cougars looking at us, yes. not little girls. Yes, well, yeah, cougars. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, we don't have to put free candy on the <laughs> yeah, side yeah, of the Wiggy yeah. van. Okay. So the cougars <laughs> will just have to say, you know, flush accounts. All right. Then we're gonna uh, September. <laughs> we're gonna do two one day mover classes up here because James is gonna. Gonna lease us his his two. Yep. What's he got? The uh, uh, he's got the blink, blink troll. troll. Blink yep. troll from Ken Scopin. Um, so James has two blink troll systems, and I've seen them work. Uh, James is demoing them for me, and they don't bounce. I like that. That they, they, you know, they're they're cable. Uh, you you string a cable, come along it, tighten it, throw the blink troll on it, which the blink troll just goes in a small portable pelican, smaller than my rifle case, carries like forty pounds of steel, and 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 it manages it well, consistent. And it has, you know, rechargeable batteries and the whole thing. And all you have to do is throw a cable up, put a come along on it, make it tight, and you're good. And so we're going to do two mover classes up. I might here. add a PR1 yeah. because we're getting a lot of interest right we're, now. We're getting a ton of interest in a PR1 for September. If you want to do that, 
we already have sort of a waiting list. If we get about six or eight more people, we're it's a go. It's yeah, a go. Um, so if you're interested in that, contact Mark here at Wiggy's Alaska. Uh, Alaskan Precision Rifle Course. At Gmail. At Gmail. It's AK. No, 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 no. That's incorrect. Though. Oh, is it? Alaska Precision Rifle Course at Gmail.com. There you go. So contact them if you want to do a PR1 with us for the end of the season. People are, are starting to realize the world's coming back alive. People are going out and doing stuff. And now they're going, you know, we, we, we missed May and we moved things around. And, you know, I didn't do courses for Mile High. We didn't do the course up here. But now people are like coming back to the life and they're like, oh, gee, it would be great if you had it then because I couldn't do it here. And so we're going to add it. We have the ability to add it if the interest is there to make it worth our while. We're going to San Diego in February. Mm-hmm. We're going to Price, Utah. Yeah, it's going to be. The, uh, uh, David Wynn invited us down to, uh, he's got a big crew down there, evidently. The guy's just a world-class guy. And uh, they're all Rolex fans, by the way. We had, we had, a, we had a, changing Rolexes every other day, at man. Seven o'clock. I got to go change Rolexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they brought their Rolexes up, so we had a we had a little fashion party. Uh, we're going to Price, Utah. Uh, so, so if you guys are interested, uh, David N G U Y E N on uh, Facebook, and uh, he's going to get that together. Mark's he's going to, dude. Mark's even got a cougar on Facebook following him over oh, the man. watch, man. Yeah. Well, not not about the watch. It's about the way I was doing the liver push-ups. Remember? Yeah, I was doing yeah, liver he, push-ups? he was picking pictures of him at the bar, but he always puts his watch in the friggin' picture. Yeah. I'm running around here with no watch. I bought the Garmin. I ended up buying the AB Garmin. I did get it. And I'm like, I love my Garmins, man. And these guys are all running around. There was like six guys in the class, including you, running Rolexes. And yeah. then <laughs> it's just it's Rolex Central up here. So all of them are rubbing the Rolexes in front of each other's noses. It was fun. It was like the... Uh, then Davis... We're sitting outside. Oh, don't say that. I wouldn't even bring their... What? That's their thing, man. I would talk no, about No, no, I'm talking about the, the, I know. the Rolex thing. I know, but I didn't want to bring it up. Ten but. years, man. Ten years, you get a free Rolex. I, I was losing my mind. Yeah. You know? And the guys are just walking away from the bag, didn't even didn't even put it on. I was losing my mind. Yeah, yeah. It, so there's there was the Rolex fan cup going, um, you know, but so it's, it's one of those things. All right, let's wrap it up. Man. Yeah, man, we're done. Hey. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for buying the book. Thanks for I dude, I sold so many friggin' books uh this week. I sent the case up here. I think I got like five copies left. That was fifty books. I have five left. So um that's been fantastic. The feedback's been great on the book. Uh generally appreciate it. The information we're putting out, we're getting really positive feedback with that. So thank everybody for that. The weaponized math is working. Um it's solid, man. The fundamentals are making a difference. So, uh, yeah. And tell all your friends. Tell your friends. Ask and questions. Yep. Yep. There you go. All right, man. Talk. We're to going you. to dinner. We're going to eat, and then I got to get on the airplane, and I got a midnight flight. I'll be I'll be back in Colorado tomorrow morning at six, and then I'll probably sleep all day. All right. We'll see you guys from Nebraska. Yep. Later.